So to walk in the darkness is a bit challenging and difficult. Uh, when you walk in the dark, it leads to collisions, to tripping, to stubbing toes, to banging up your shins, and to falls. I remember one of my college memories, not my most glorious one, but I remember uh, as a first year at college, at Rhodes College in Memphis, Tennessee, that I was walking with some friends, and they really weren't friends, they were essentially new acquaintances, at night in front of the library, and we were just walking along, and lo and behold, I smashed right into a concrete bench that had no back. It was just like a little cube that students could sit on in the daytime. I had no idea it was there, and, uh, and fell to the ground, and remember feeling not only how much pain there was in my shin, but how humiliated I was in front of these acquaintances. Walking in the darkness is challenging. But when the light comes, everything changes. In the light, we can see the obstacles and the path and the people around us, and we can know the way that we are to go, and we can walk in it. What Isaiah proclaims is this. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness, on them has light shone. The, the change from darkness to light is at the heart of the story that we are rehearsing this morning. For Isaiah, darkness is a metaphor for the idolatry and sin into which God's people had fallen and for the oppression under which they lived as a result of that sin. But Isaiah proclaims a moment of change. A great light has come, like a flash of lightning. You've been in a storm before, and the lightning flashes, and suddenly you can see everything around you illuminated. Only in this instance, the flash doesn't go immediately away, but it remains. Let's work briefly, just backwards through this text, Isaiah 9. So who is the great light? Verses 6 and 7, a ruler, a king. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given upon whose shoulders the government will rest. He will be called, we read, Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. These are terms of strategy and conquest, which means that he will rule on the throne of David with an everlasting rule that brings peace and is marked by justice and righteousness. That's the great light. It's the gift of this ruler and king. What does he bring? Backing up, going backwards through the text, verses 4 and 5. Practically, this new ruler brings freedom and liberation from oppression, the end of conflict and violence. And it's this liberation that ushers in a reign of peace and justice and righteousness. So verse 4, for the yoke of his burden and the staff for his shoulder, the rod of his oppressor, you have broken as on the day of Midian. I'm guessing most of us don't know the allusion to Midian, so let me just fill that in for a moment. The Midianites oppressed Israel, God's people, for seven years in the time of the judges until God raised up his servant Gideon to liberate his people in a miraculous way, using less than 300 to defeat an army of more than 100,000 and to usher in for the people of God a period of rest and peace. So Isaiah is saying this great light that comes is going to bring in that same kind of rest and peace. Conflict and violence will be no more. So verse 5 the every boot of the tramping warrior and battle tumult and every garment rolled in blood will be burned as fire, as fuel for the fire. This ruler, called the Prince of Peace, establishes a peace that never ends. What then does this liberation produce in us? Verse 3, you have multiplied the nation, you have increased its joy as the joy at the harvest 
as they are glad when they divide the spoils. Liberation always means joyful celebration. I recently finished the not-so-new nonfiction book, Alive, which is Pierce Paul Reed's definitive account of the survival of 16 young men after their plane crashed in the Andes Mountains in the dead of winter in 1971. There was a film made of this story in 1993, and those of you who know some of the specifics, which I'll spare you now, may feel a little sick just hearing the title of the book. After 70 70 days of survival, they finally heard the news on the radio. They had a radio. They couldn't communicate out, but they could listen in. They heard the news on the radio that two of their company, whom they had sent out 10 days earlier, 60 days into their ordeal, with the hopes of reaching civilization to provoke some kind of rescue, that they had successfully completed their trek. Words of their survival were spreading like wildfire across the airwaves of Chile and Uruguay and Brazil and really the entire known world. Rescue was on the way. Reed records their reaction in this way. The moment that the boys had imagined for so long had finally arrived. They waved their arms in the air, shouting to the indifferent mountain peaks which surrounded them that they were saved and thanking God both aloud and in their hearts for the happy news of that salvation. Then they made for the cigars, which were left over from the plane crash and had been saved for an occasion such as this. Liberation means celebration and joy, fullness of life. And that's what Isaiah says this ruler is coming to bring, and it will produce joy. The basic principle is that when light penetrates the darkness, life prospers. My family and I this fall have been enjoying the BBC series Planet Earth, series, the, the first series. I know there's a second over the fall. And in the eighth episode on jungles, we're told that only 2% of the sunlight reaches the forest floor. But the blo- and, and in that lack of sunlight, the, in the relative darkness, the seedlings along the forest floor struggle to grow. But the blockage of light doesn't last forever. Eventually, one of the large forest trees will die and then collapse, and they catch a moment like this of a huge tree falling in a jungle in New Guinea on film. And then through the opening in the canopy created by the giant tree's absence, the sun's light reaches the floor of the forest and brings unprecedented amounts of light to the place of darkness and struggle. And then through time-lapse video, we watch seedlings as they begin in in rapid form to sprout up in the now open skies, basking in the light and racing toward the light. It's a good picture that when the light comes, life appears. Life flourishes. Isaiah promises this life resulting from the great light. And yet, as with so many of the promises in the Old Testament from the prophets, it never quite came in Isaiah's day. And it's that day, but the, so the promise then pointed forward to a future day beyond it. And that's the day that we're gathered here to celebrate. As we continue to read this story, I encourage you to listen attentively to have ears that hear, and to hear the promise that Isaiah has proclaimed here in chapter 9 of his prophecy, fulfilled. Mary is told by the angel Gabriel in Luke 1 
that her son will be given the throne of his father David, and that he will reign and his kingdom will have no end. Zechariah, John the Baptist's father, says in Luke 1 that God has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David, as he spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets of old, that we should be saved from our enemies. Liberation. Zechariah also affirms that because of the mercy of God, the sunrise shall visit us from on high to give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death, to guide our feet into the way of peace. Simeon, in Luke 2, refers to this child as a light for revelation to the Gentiles and glory for your people Israel. After the birth of Jesus in Luke 2, which we'll read in a little while, the angels say to the shepherds, For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given. Unto you is born this day a Savior. And John, the evangelist and apostle, opens his gospel like this. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. The true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. For those with ears to hear, the words of Isaiah are bouncing off the canyon walls of the New Testament all over the place. God has kept his promise. God has done it, as Isaiah said that he would. The last lines of Isaiah's, of the section of Isaiah are the zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. And thanks be to God, he has done it. Done what we could not do. We needed help. And the great light at the center of this story is the gift of divine grace. So what does it mean for you and for me? Jesus, in his own ministry, once called himself the light of the world. In John chapter 8, verse 12. And then he said this, Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Walking in darkness is is indeed hard. We stumble and we fall. But the gift of divine grace is the reality that we don't have to do that anymore. Although we can still sometimes feel like we don't know the way or see the way, the reality is that the light has come. The darkness has been defeated. And the darkness wasn't Midian or Assyria or Babylon or Rome. These were merely pawns in the hand of the real enemy, the prince of darkness, as he's referred to in the scriptures. And Jesus defeated him, the upshot of which is that liberation, peace, joy can be ours in the light of this king who is victorious. Having felled the power of darkness, the rays of his love reach to the bottom of the forest floor. And no one is beyond the warmth and nourishment of this light. The invitation of this story, the offer of divine grace, is that we're invited to walk in that light, to, to learn to take one step, followed by another, and then to walk, and then 
to run in that light. We begin as newborns, clumsily, little seedlings, but we grow to maturity, becoming what Scripture calls oaks of righteousness. It's not easy, of course, and you can't buy this gift, but it comes by His grace into the midst of our broken world. So listen to the story that we tell and hear its invitation. Let me close with a slight nuance. That the light has shined, but it doesn't mean that we don't groan. The darkness has been defeated, but not yet eradicated. We're reminded in the season of Advent that the world is very broken, and most of us sitting in this room don't need that reminder. We know it far too well in personal stories of pain, injustice, racism, mistreatment from colleagues, constant struggle to live up to our own ideals. Jesus defeated the darkness, and yet Scripture teaches us that we still struggle against the cosmic powers of this present darkness that we're still waiting for the day when the defeated darkness will be completely eradicated. The season of Advent is a season that we dedicate to looking forward to that day when really this promise of Isaiah, which has been partially fulfilled in Jesus' death and resurrection, will one day be consummated and complete in Jesus' return. So sometimes for us, in our experience, and if you're here and you're learning about this story in your own life, it doesn't mean that when we enter into the light, the great light, that somehow life just sort of snaps into place and everything is straightforward and makes sense and we walk from one victory to the next. No, it's far more complicated than that. And yet in the midst of this present darkness that still prevails in our broken world, The light, the great light, has in fact come. It does in fact bring about real change and radical transformation in our hearts, renewing us to become a people of peace and joy and love in the midst of a world of violence and despair and hatred. And as we walk forward, groaning and moaning, longing for the day when the great light will return and the darkness will be fully eradicated, the wonderful hope And truth is that in the midst of this present journey, however you might be experiencing it now, the one who called himself the light of the world, the one who banishes the darkness of evil from your heart and from mine, is the one who promised to us all, I will never leave you nor forsake you. This great light remains with us in the midst of our present darkness, illuminating our hearts, guiding us on our path, defeating for us the evil that so quickly destroys our lives, and bringing us home to the ultimate place of peace, of joy, of justice, of righteousness. This story, we won't read it today, but this story ends when the sun and moon, the great lights of our day, are no longer necessary.
Why? Because the one great light, God the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, illuminates all the new creation by the beauty of his bright glory. That is our great hope. The great light, who is Jesus. Let's pray.